Welcome to A Happy Place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. Hello, I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Glad you are making us a part of your week, wherever you are in the world. Also want to thank our partner, Live Happy Magazine. Uh, The new issue is available now. Jillian Michaels on the front. All kinds of great information in there for you. We will have more on that coming up in just a moment. Want to thank our other partner, Life Reimagined. Their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. It's got all kinds of things for you to try out as you make that journey toward your peak happiness as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Well, find out more at lifereimagined.org slash happy. And we're joined again by our co-founder, COO, Editorial Director, Deborah Heiss. And we're looking in this uh, episode of the series about managing negative thinking and anxiety. And our uh, office mate, who is the subject of the uh, article, is uh, Kim Baker, our art director. Why was she a perfect candidate for this particular issue? Well, I think we all struggle with uh, negative thinking and anxiety about a lot of things. And Kim uh, acknowledged that that was something that she dealt with, and, and, and she wanted to volunteer and uh, work on improving that in her own life and with her own family. Um, probably the main thing is that uh, as an art director here at Live Happy, she has a lot of pressure to deliver. I oh, think yeah. I've seen the beautiful, beautiful magazines that we put out. and It, it looks great. And you want, like, the, the work that goes into it, I can only imagine the stress that can... And, and, you know, dealing with that, plus managing a, uh, a family, which she's got a, a, a young family with a, with a young daughter, it's just something that she felt like was an area she could improve. So she volunteered. And uh, I want to do a shout out to Kim here who might be listening to this and, and let her know that the magazine looks outstanding and she shouldn't <laughs> worry about it so much. <laughs> well, and, and that's certainly true. I was very excited to be the one that got to talk with Dr. Karen Cassidy because it applied to me too. I think just about everybody here and almost everybody listening has dealt with this at one time or another. And Dr. Cassidy is, uh, by the way, president-elect of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America and owner of the Anxiety Treatment Center of Greater Chicago, which is the first private clinic in that area to offer exposure-based treatment for anxiety disorders and we're actually going to talk about that with her exposure based uh, therapy in this particular conversation she's an internationally recognized expert on the treatment of anxiety and related disorders in children through adults well we're very happy to have uh, dr cassidy with us and let's just jump right into it a lot of people have a lot of uh, worries, anxieties, fears, and all sorts of things, and they're sometimes related to their jobs or they're related to uh, their home life or what have you. Is there one overarching thing that these people are characteristic that these people possess that causes them to worry? Yes, there is, and that common characteristic is intolerance of uncertainty. And what we see with people who worry is that when they perceive or misperceive uncertainty, they take, take the path of better safe than sorry, and they narrow down that field of uncertainty into a few awful options, the imagined awful future. And then they focus on that and planning for it, trying to get information about it. And they do that because they feel like it's a way to show that they care or that they're responsible. And worriers really do believe that it's important to worry, even though their worry makes them miserable. And so one thing that's very common is we hear people who have difficulties with worry telling us stuff like, well, it's my job to worry, or someone has to worry, or it's a mother's um, love to worry, or a father is supposed to worry about their children or about the finances. 
And that's very, very common. And those worry supporting beliefs then make it seem like worry is the right thing to do when you're faced with uncertainty. Do you think, uh, because I mean, even as good as, as people can be as planners, you can't plan for everything. Something can go wrong. Uh, how do you plan for worst case scenario without being a worrier? Well, um, <laughs> the truth is what we see in the population of people who don't have trouble with worry is that they take the approach of there's no point in worrying until an actual bad event happens. Ah. And they aren't unaware that tragedy could happen or random bad events. It's just they properly realize unless it really happens to you, there's literally nothing you can do about it. Sure. And and so they accept the uncertainty and they embrace the idea that life is full of risks. And so I'll give you an example. Um, you know, when people have a child for the first time, um, if you're a worrier, one of the first thoughts that occurs to you after you hold your infant for the first time is, oh, my gosh, um, the child could die. What if I lose them? And then the parent gets focused on how can I protect the child? How can I keep them alive? Whereas a non-worried parent would realize, yes, that would really be awful if it, you know, my child were to tragically die. But they focus on enjoying the child and um, reveling in being a parent. Does it lead to overprotectiveness? Because I'm I'm thinking about like oh yes. <laughs> I remember my cousin. She's she's the oldest of all of us cousins. They had the first grandchild, I guess you would say, of of their mm-hmm. family. And her husband was like, oh, she can't get off the blanket. She might get germs. And then if she gets germs, she's going to get uh, some kind of infection. And then the infection, she'll have to be amputated and she'll never walk again. Uh, so you make right. a leap from being on a blanket <laughs> to never walking yeah. again. I mean, that, 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 that cannot yeah. be good for your own health. Right. It's, it's actually it's a disaster. And we do believe that that type of anxious um, parenting and anxious way of thinking has led to the helicopter parenting culture. Um, we now know for sure that that culture has, we believe, led to an increase in the number of anxiety and mood disorders in young adults and youth. Um, so we really want to get rid of it. And and the thing that I try to teach my patients is risk is inevitable in life and random tragedy is inevitable. And there's nothing we can do to protect ourselves from it. And the best strategy is to enjoy the good life that you have. And what's interesting is if you ever go to a a hospice where you have people who are dying of cancer, one of the interesting things is you'll see universally they want to live. They don't want to be all sad and focused on dying. They they probably understand, okay, I have these precious days left. I'm going to live them to my fullest of my capability. And that actually is the way we ought to always live. Absolutely. Live like you are dying. That's, I think, how the... How the mm-hmm. song goes. Yeah, that's a it's a, a grim phrase, but it's it's very apt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What is there a certain type of person or a group of people or or anything like that who's more prone to having problems with worry? Yes, there is, and we what we now think is that someone probably has to inherit the tendency to develop an anxiety disorder or a mood disorder, and that uh, worry tends to run in families. And uh, we can, you know, see if we look at people, someone who's a, you know, bona fide worrier that they'll have lots of relatives who have other anxiety disorders and who also are very likely to worry. And then also, if we add into that mix, someone being raised in a culture that tells them risk taking is dangerous, 
it's undesirable and that you've got to play it safe, then we can pretty much guarantee it's going to be very easy for that person to develop a chronic pattern of worry. That's where I, I kind of wonder about this. Is it, is it a nature, a nurture thing? Because I would think that if you grew up with parents who were very uh, fastidious, you know, everything's got to be a certain mm-hmm. way and we've always got to do that, then in a sense, it's only natural that a child would grow up that way. Is there a genetic component to it or is it more of a, well, what environment you're raised in? We We actually think it's both. It's a nature and nurture. And so we think that if you inherit that genetic tendency and you're exposed to people who are overprotective, who um, show by their behavior and tell you with their words that risk is dangerous and show you that worrying and reassurance seeking and over-controlling are the only way to handle stress um, and uncertainty, then we can pretty much guarantee you're going to have trouble with worry. Uh, What's interesting is if you're one of the people that didn't inherit that tendency, you could be raised in the middle of a family of great warriors and come out unscathed. Uh, Yeah, we really think you've got to have that combination of the genetic risk plus an environment that promotes uh, risk avoidance and worry and um, trying to get rid of anxiety fast. So that's one thing that can make it worse for people, being in an environment where everybody's just constantly worried all the time. What are some other factors that can that can make it worse for someone who is currently uh, dealing with this particular issue? Yeah. Well, one thing that we think um, has been a sad side effect of the way news travels now on the Internet is that people now have a false perception of increased danger. And that's because every time there's any kind of tragedy, it can travel so fast because of Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, um, you know, you name it. And and you're aware of so many more awful events. And because, of course, the type of news that tends to make the headlines is the scary news, the tragic news, the awful news. And um, and that has very much created a misperception. And so, for example, we see that even though crime rates have stayed the same, um, we see parents in general think there's more um, sexual predators out there. They think there's more crime. Um, they think there's, you know, more tragedy uh, than there actually is in the real environment. And that doesn't help. And then the other thing about the Internet is it's an instant um, anxiety fix in a bad way. It's a reassurance seeking tool where people can go right away and look up all kinds of scary things mm. and work themselves into a tizzy. And so uh, I'm, I'm with that. <laughs> yes. Web, I would bet the majority of hits on WebMD are not people legitimately looking for medical information. It's a worry or trying to get reassurance. Yeah. Um, and so that has made it easier to um, indulge your worry in a way that actually makes it worse. Well, yeah. Uh, and we sort of, yeah. Yeah, go I was going to say, it can make it entirely worse because you go in there and you're like, oh, man, I've got this uh, uh, headache and it's been a dull headache all day or for a couple of days. And then suddenly you think you have every nervous system disease and, and heart disease and you're going to yes. have aneurysms. I mean, it, it only plays into that uh, very worried nature. Right, right. That so many, a large majority of illnesses have a lot of sort of vague, nonspecific symptoms that go yeah. with them that are kind of universal. And a worrier will, you know, latch onto that and just get terrified. 
Um, so I, I kind of look at the Internet as sort of, you know, the crack cocaine option for a warrior <laughs> in terms of reassurance seeking. Yeah, it can. It only makes it worse. And, and I've, I'm guilty of it. I, you know, at times we're like, man, I'm, I'm really having this issue. And you go look it up and like, oh, man, this could be a thousand times worse. Or I could just be dehydrated and you don't know. Um, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. what can we do, though, to help uh, overcome these types of things? Because for someone who's who is worried about worrying too much, it can become a cycle. So what, what can you do to sort of break the habit? Yeah. Well, there's a couple things. The first one is to recognize that worry actually never accomplishes anything. And the reason it doesn't accomplish anything is because it never deals with a real problem. It's always dealing with the imagined awful future. And so you want to try and undercut those worry-supporting beliefs that make you feel like I'm being caring or responsible or a good worker or a good spouse, a good friend by my using my worry, and instead realize the truth, which is it makes me miserable, it wrecks my sleep, my digestion, I feel stiff and sore. And then quite honestly, um, the people who are around a worrier find it irritating because mm. When warriors are doing reassurance seeking directed at other people, it comes across as lack of trust. So those questions like, when are you coming home? How long will it be? Will you call me? Make sure you call me. Tell me when you get there. All end up feeling like you don't see how responsible I am and you don't trust me and it doesn't feel like love. Mm. Um, so you have to see it for what it is, which is worry just makes me miserable and it irritates other people. And then this next thing is, to recognize that what you need to do is to learn how to tolerate uncertainty and all the behaviors that you use to seek reassurance. And so we prescribe uncertainty exposure, we call it, where we say when you start to see a situation where you don't know what's going to happen, let it be. Don't try and control, don't overmanage, don't overplan. Try and do it the way the non-worried person would do it. So instead of looking up on um, three different apps on what the perfect route is to get somewhere in the perfect amount of time, just start driving. Um, we also oftentimes have to have people do anti-perfectionism practice by making mistakes or being sloppy because their worry is driving them to find the perfect solution in order to control the outcome. And so um, perfectionism is oftentimes the best friend of worry, and we mm. want people to learn that actually plan B and plan C work out just as well as plan A, um, you know, and to be honest, if you look at your life, most of the time it never goes quite like you think it will go, and oftentimes it goes very differently. Yeah, and the, the John Lennon quote, it's, it's life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. You can never plan for everything, so it's best just to sort of enjoy the ride. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Right, absolutely. And so we, we want people to practice making mistakes and to see it actually doesn't make a bad thing happen and it doesn't ruin the outcome. Uh, we want them to learn that you don't have to work quite so hard. And and we're not prescribing that someone just become, you know, a sluggard in their life. It's really realizing that when there is a very important um, situation, it is permissible to exert more control. Um, but that's not most occasions, and that's not about 98% of your life. Mm -hmm. And that you can use enough effort 
to make it go well, and then to use the rest of your effort to enjoy the process of living. You mentioned this exact situation, and it's a situation that I have and that I deal with. Uh, my my fiance will occasionally she'll go out with friends or whatever, and it'll be like midnight. Be like, hey, where are you at? Why don't you trust me? No, it's not that. I just want to, you know, yeah. I want to make sure that you're you're not, you know, in a car accident somewhere. You know, the exactly. News isn't yeah, you're not fast. dead on the side of the road. Yeah. You haven't been stabbed in a bar fight, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, she sometimes, she, you know, I, I don't know what to think about that. She might get uh, a little feisty out there. I'm worried, but uh, uh, no, it, it, it's that there's got to be so many other ways, though, that having that characteristic, having that trait of being a warrior even to in a greater extent than probably what I am, can, can affect everyone else around you. Is oh, yeah. Yeah, we have parents that are waking up their kids to check and see if they're breathing. Um, we have workers who keep doing everything in an overly fashion um, because they're trying to double-check, triple-check, um, or keep reminding everybody what to do on the project team so they can't take it anymore. And it, it can come out in all um, different forms. Another thing that's important if you want to conquer worry is you have to learn to teach your body to relax again. And one thing that happens when people are in a state of worry is their body gets stuck in high idle and they can't get relaxed again. And that's mm -hmm. what we know causes difficulty with sleep. So insomnia is very common um, with worry, um, stiff, sore muscles, headaches, stomach aches, uh, GI distress. And we found if people can do exercise, um, relaxation, meditation, yoga, uh, mindfulness training, all of that really helps the body to restore back to its baseline setting and to get more physically comfortable. And, and then that in turn makes it easier for your body to not give you the false signal that um, all risk is dangerous. Are there any... Uh, yeah, are there any like uh because I'm thinking about it and I've had this happen to me especially when you're when you're new into a career or you're a young person just getting started out in the career you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll think of something that happened at work and then you're up for 2 hours thinking about it and obviously you're yeah. not you're not going to go to the you're not going to go do your to your yoga center at 2 a.m. <laughs> right. Yeah. Are there yeah. some other well, things you can do right there that Yeah, there's some help other you? yeah. When you get hit by a worry um, full on by that, there's a technique that's very effective, and it's called worry exposure. And this takes a little bit of courage to do. And what you do is you say out loud and vividly, graphically describe the worry that you have. And so, for example, I'm just going to, you know, pretend I was you. I wake up and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to remember to tell so-and-so this and that, then I would say something like, um, I'm going to fall back asleep. I'll forget this. Um, it's going to screw up everything. Um, this won't get done. It won't make it to production. Um, you know, I'm on that probationary period because it's my first year and this is going to wreck my career. Um, I will never get anywhere and um, everybody's going to be so mad at me. And it's all because I just slept instead of, um, you know, getting up and take, you know, taking care of this problem and I'm never going to be able to get on top of it. And you would repeat that over and over until you literally start to relax and it stops being scary. And for a lot of people, when they're doing this worry exposure, it usually takes from 15 to 30 minutes. But what happens is at some point they either see that their worry is humorous or 
it just doesn't stick anymore. It's like the Velcro lost, you know, its ability to adhere and you're able to literally let go of it and go like, Oh, that doesn't bother me anymore. And I, and I use this technique often with patients and we prescribe them to do it is to take all the things you could worry about and pound them with your worry exposure. And you can um, make it easier on yourself if you just record it into your phone and play it back over and over until it loses, you know, the scary, awful quality. Um, but that would be a really helpful technique because I tell people if you're up like that and you can't sleep, then you might as well do something productive with getting rid of your worry because you aren't going to go back to sleep if you're stuck in your worry. Yeah, it's sort of and, a, an immersion aversion type of a therapy there, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a very catchy way to describe it. <laughs> so, um, exactly, but it, it works well. And the reason it works is that whenever we face anything that we fear, whether it's a thought or a situation, uh, all the receptors in our brain and our body get filled with those fear chemicals and they get saturated after a certain point. And when they're saturated, we start to downregulate. We're still in the presence of the scary thought or situation and our body starts to realize oh, maybe it's not so bad. And we literally start to do what we call extinguish that automatic anxious response. And so it's a fail-safe technique. Um, the problem is it does require a little bit of courage on the yeah. part of the person to just say, I'm going to dive into my worst thoughts and repeat them and um, be very graphic about it. But it's very, very effective. Absolutely. It sounds like I'm thinking about it just in my own head right now. So I was slow to response about the things that I've got on my plate. Yeah. Well, well what's the really yeah. the worst that could happen? The building is not going to fall down if I'm five minutes yeah. late to my next <laughs> episode. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But that would be that'd be the kind of thoughts we prefer to be like, it's going to ruin everything. Um, the show will, will be terrible. It'll ruin this podcast, the next one. Right. Um it will never recover. Viewers, listeners will hate it. Yeah. <laughs> on and on. Um, and then what you do find is that after a certain point, it starts either seeming absurd or you realize it just doesn't have any hold over your mind or your heart anymore. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic technique that I'm sure will come into play sometime within the next 24 hours. So we'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> well, Good for you. Yeah, I'm, I can tell you're going to beat this one. See, we're, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is the most practical one for me. There's so many things I'm so excited to yeah. try out. Uh, well, if folks like me who are listening to this going, you know what? There are some answers. I'd like to know more. Uh, where can they go? What can they do to uh, learn more about this particular issue? Yeah, well, there's there's several choices. You can go to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and they have a website at adaa.org. And if you look up generalized anxiety disorder, that's the name, uh, you know, the clinical name for worry, you can find a lot of helpful information about what it is and how to help um, overcome it, such as the things I've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, you can also... If you like reading, um, there's some great books. Uh, there's a book called The Worry Cure uh, by Leahy that's a great read. And another one, if you're a woman and you really want to focus on um, issues specific to women, called Women Who Worry Too Much by Kraski and Hazlitt Stevens. And then there's a terrific app called Self-Help Anxiety Management from the University of West England. 
And this is the um, app that the British National Health Service gives to everyone who initially contacts them saying that they have problems with worry and anxiety. And it's been shown to be very helpful if someone uh, goes through the steps that are on that app. It has all the types of things we've talked about and more. I mean, and that's the country that invented Keep Calm and Carry On. So I would imagine that they know a yes. thing or two about, about how to manage those types of, uh, of, of fears. Yes, they can speak with authenticity. Yes. Yeah, and, and the thing that, that I would encourage people to do is if they feel like their efforts on their own are not enough and that um, trying self-help measures don't work, is then to go to uh, the ADA.org and to find a professional who's trained specifically in cognitive behavioral therapy for um, anxiety disorders. And this is the type of thing where someone can literally, in a matter of you know four to six months, make a dramatic difference in their life and get on top of it and um, live the rest of their life much more comfortably. So it's the kind of thing where this is treatable. Um, you can overcome it if you're willing to do the work on your own or if you need the help of a therapist. Um, you can overcome it. That's that's fantastic news to hear, and there's so many great resources you just gave us. Man, we are so thankful to have that, and I personally am thankful to have that because uh, this is one that, uh, that really speaks to me, hits close to home. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're very busy, but giving us, uh, giving us this time to talk about it, I think uh, we're going to reach a lot of people in, uh, in today's world. I very much appreciate it. Well, thank you, JR. It's been a delight to speak with you. For more information on the 90 Days to a Happier You, you can check out the latest issue of Live Happy Magazine. It is on newsstands now, as well as the digital edition, which is available to you in the Apple App Store and on the Google Play Store. If there's anything you'd like to add to the discussion, feel free to do so. Reach out to us on Twitter at Live Happy, Facebook.com slash Live Happy, or on Instagram by searching My Live Happy. You can also send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For everyone at the Live Happy Now podcast, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, and remember to always live happy.